Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I love dogs and cats and the people who care about them. Every week, I talk with authors and experts to expand our understanding and appreciation of the animals who share our lives. To hear earlier episodes of this show and download podcasts of other Pet Talk radio shows I co-host with top veterinarians and experts, please go to RadioPetLady.com. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. The birthplace of this show was WPPB 88.3 from Southampton, New York, and I'm proud to have been on Peconic Public Broadcasting for 575 consecutive shows over 12 years. I also produced the annual New York Dog Film Festival sponsored by the Petco Foundation and the annual New York Cat Film Festival sponsored by Dr. Elsie's Precious Cat benefiting Wynn Feline Foundation. Both festivals are traveling the country, celebrating the human-animal bond while benefiting a local animal welfare group. Learn more at dogfilmfestival.com and catfilmfestival.com. This show is brought to you with the generous support of Waruva, a family-owned pet food company whose owners want to feed their own pets and yours with ingredients that are good enough for people to eat. All the Waruva canned and pouch foods for cats and dogs come in endless varieties to satisfy even the fussiest pets and use the same care and quality ingredients as food for people. The company name exemplifies the Foreman family's embrace of rescuing animals, naming the company after their kitties. W.E. for Webster, R.U. for Rudy, and V.A. for Vanessa. And they are passionate about good nutrition. Their Caloric Harmony Dry Food for Dogs is formulated on the principle of how the body actually utilizes food and the quality of the protein. You'll find Waruva wherever fine natural pet foods are sold. Today's guests are Laura Moss and her book, Adventure Cats, Living Nine Lives to the Fullest, Dr. Gal Vitash from East End Veterinary Center in Riverhead, and Nicole Forsyth, the president and CEO of RedRover.com. I am here with Laura Moss who started the most amazing website called AdventureCats.org. And now this book, Adventure Cats, Living Nine Lives to the Fullest, is a totally amazing look at things that amazing cats are doing with their people. But according to Laura, you too, if you have a certain color of cat, which we'll talk about, can do as well. Laura, it's so exciting to meet you. You have opened up such new vistas for the cats and the cat lovers of America. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm so excited to be here and talk about the book. You're an outdoors person. I mean, it seems like as a journalist and a writer, your passion was the outdoors, and then your other passion was cats. And somehow you put the two together, and it seems, from what I can tell from the book, that you've inspired a lot of people to look at their cats in a completely different way in terms of the way that they can live with us, alongside us, and do some pretty extraordinary outdoor physical things with us. When did that moment turn between just your personal interests and passion and realizing that you could tap into a, a world of people out there? Uh, well, I've been a pet writer for several years, and I've gotten the opportunity to interview um, some of the more famous, I guess, adventure cat owners like Craig Armstrong and his cat Millie and Stephen Simmons and his cat Burma. And I 
just kept coming across more and more cats on social media who were walking on leashes and, you know, some were going on hikes and some were just lounging in the backyard. And I got very curious about if there was a trend here. And I started talking to um, more cat owners and vets and behaviorists and it turned out there was this whole community of people who were engaging with their cats in the outdoors. And I think adventure cats just came away to kind of bring them together. And um, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I wanted you to tell us a little about those two famous adventure cats because I wasn't familiar with them, but I'd love to know who were the forerunners in the field. Um, Stephen Simmons is a veteran who he was suffering um, from PTSD and he started doing something called adventure therapy and spending a lot of time outdoors and hiking. And he one day came across a, a kitten that needed a home and he took in Burma. But he was, you know, living out of his car at the time and traveling a lot. And so um, his cat and the dog, he has a shelter dog as well, just kind of adapted to that lifestyle and explore the great outdoors with him. And he says that spending time in nature as well as being able to bond with animals in this way really helped him overcome um, and worked as a, a type of therapy for him. And um, that, ma- that makes sense. I mean, and I, and I guess that his personal journey, you'd think, well, that's just one individual in an unusual situation. But that isn't the case. Clearly, there's many other reasons for people to get a harness on their cat or a backpack and do things like mountain climbing and sailing and hiking and camping and it's, it's and surfboarding. It's it's amazing. Who was the other famous one? Um, that's a cat named Millie. He lives. Uh, she lives with her owner Craig Armstrong in Salt Lake City, and he adopted her as a kitten and started leash training her at a young age, and so she accompanies him on. Um, hiking trips and camping trips and all kinds of stuff and she's just become um, part of this outdoors family that that he has and it's very sweet the way when you talk to him like the the bond that they have it's very inspiring and um, I think that you know when you start at a young age a lot of cats can get comfortable in a harness but one thing I tell everybody is you know it's not for every cat Um, like my own cats I leash trained when they were a bit older and they love going outside but you know just like when um I'm indoors. My cats call the shots. Same as outdoors. So they love <laughs> to explore my backyard. And my backyard's very wooded, and we have a little creek, and they think that's a great fun. And to them, that's a great big adventure as right, well. Right. But they're, you know, they're not going to be comfortable, you know, um, going out on a, like a park or a trail. And so I think you just have to know it's good for your cat because, you know, going outside is a great way for cats to get exercise and get mental stimulation, but only if they're comfortable in that environment. So. Um, for I, I just always want to make sure I tell people that because, you know, not all cats have to be outside. You can have indoor adventures as well. That's a really sweet way of putting it. And, in fact, there's a really wonderful section in the book on how to choose a harness. I love that you actually say brand names. I'm a big believer in saying the names of brands that you believe work, that you've seen work, because otherwise it's so confusing, the marketplace. But the idea that the harness should be introduced in a series of steps, which are very feline friendly, slowly get used to the smell, get used to the feel, get used to the sound. A lot of really great advice. But but before the advice about equipment, talk about the green, orange, and purple cats that, that Dr. Emily Weiss came up with at ASPCA as a way to differentiate different cat personalities. I'd heard it before, but I didn't think that it mattered all that much. But clearly with adventure catting, it matters profoundly. So talk about how how you see that division of colors and personalities working in terms of adventuring. Uh, the um, ASPCA has a great program called the Beat Your Match program, and it just helps to pair the right 
kind of cat with the right type of cat owner because some people, you know, that they if, you know, they have a lot of energy themselves and they want to take on a cat that's really high energy and wants to play a lot, that's great. And then other people have a lifestyle where, you know, maybe they live in a smaller space or they're not home as often and they need a cat that's lower energy or more comfortable right. spending more time alone. So um, for people who, you know, are interested in possibly taking their cats outdoors, if they're going to go to a shelter um, and adopt, which is the best way, um, just to talk to um, the, the shelter workers and to learn about the cat's personality. And so, like, the ASPCA breaks it down into, like, purple cats and orange cats and green cats, and um, they all have different personality characteristics. And um, for cats that are going to be more comfortable outside, often they're more, they're more valiant. They're more comfortable in an unpredictable environment, and they, you know, instead of, if they hear a loud noise, they might investigate instead of hide. Right. And so I think that's just a good way to, to look at um, what would be a good match for your lifestyle, um, but then there can be cats that surprise you. Like, one of my cats who seems like the bravest kitty in the world, um, he likes to go out in the backyard, but, you know, he gets, he is easily startled, so we don't venture far right. from home. Whereas, and I also have a friend who, um, who lives down the street, and her cat, I rarely get to see because she's so skittish. But she loves to go outside, but she likes to go outside with her people. Like, you know, um, my friend and her husband take their cat out, and she's very happy, but she doesn't want anyone else to be there. So I think cats, <laughs> cats can surprise you. And, and, the, and the, the surfing cat, I mean, that's an amazing thing to look at. It. What You have great, great photographs in the book. It's a, it's a workman press book, which I think sort of distinguishes it as a great-looking book. You know, beautifully made, beautifully laid out, wonderful graphics, amazing photos. It's really a delight and a pleasure. It's an adventure in itself, really, to go through the book and see these situations in which people, you know, canyons and mountaintops, or these cats are like totally chill with it. In fact, they're into it. And the ones that sail, and we know that cats historically have been on boats, you know, they aren't all landlubbers, but the idea that people would incorporate them in order to make them part of a lifestyle is something that I, I think what you're, what you're, essence of, of adventurecats.org and the book is to really look for ways to explore your cat's personality and see if your cat wants to explore the world. I mean, you are hoping to encourage that responsibly in people, right? Not to force it, obviously, on a cat who's like, no, thank you. I'm good here. Right, right. It's all about enhancing a cat's life. And I think there's going to yes. be, not, not every cat wants to be outdoors. And adventuring isn't for every cat. In fact, you know, it's probably not for most cats. But I think it's levels of adventure. So if your cat doesn't want to go outside, that's fine. There's so many great ways you can, you know, engage with your cat indoors and bring out his personality. Or you may have a cat who's happy in a catio or a stroller. And, like, my own cats love the backyard, but they don't want to go hiking with me. And I think it's very much looking at ways what your cat's comfortable with and not pushing your cat outside that comfort zone, but allowing your cat to to engage with you in new ways. I've had people tell me for years, oh, your cats are different because they have this personality. And every right. personality. Right, you know, yes. Are you playing with your cat? Are you enhancing their environment indoors and out? Are you giving them opportunities to, to play with you? That's a really good point. Yeah, it is almost offensive to all the other cats when someone says, yeah, your cat really shines and has a personality and it's like well because you've encouraged it you've interacted you've you've given opportunities which many of us just have were never told that that's what you needed to do to enrich a cat's life talk about the guy that has this darling looking i don't know if it's a rag doll or what that goes around in his backpack it's got the cutest little face it looks like the most indoor kind of cat like some kind of a purebred 
be on the back of the sofa cat and he's you know he's hiking in some mountain in the guy's backpack this happens not infrequently right um i i think you're talking about the persian for for the lion yes um he's a cat in boulder colorado and he's it's really funny he had a he has a a sibling who um, is very shy. When I went to speak with them, the cat hid the whole time, whereas Floyd is uh, often described as having very dog-like him characteristics because yes. he runs up to meet you, he wags his tail. And like plenty <laughs> of cats, um, like my own cat, it's funny, like, you know, we go out, we walk around the backyard, and to them an adventure is like lying in the sun. Whereas with Floyd, like he gets on his leash and he will literally drag you down the street. Wow. You know, it's very much like walking a dog. And so... Um, they're very, very different like that. But yes, Floyd has gone on some really incredible adventures around Colorado and Utah. And, you know, you could tell he's enjoying himself. He's having a great time. And, you know, he's, he's scared of nothing. You know, he's a very fearless feline. <laughs> I love the word valiant. And I don't know if that's a word that came from the ASPCA color coding of cat personalities. But instead of saying brave, which would then indicate that the other cats would be scaredy cats, you know. Valiant is such a wonderful word. It it doesn't have any negative connotations, and there's not even a flip side to valiant, right? Right, because I think it's less about not being afraid that, like, you know, scary things can happen or, you know, there can be a loud noise or a new sight or a new scent, but it, it's just not cowering from that, but being willing to investigate it, not necessarily being um, – being brave all the time because no, no one's brave all the time. Right. Part of the reason we, we started the website Adventure Cats was because I had gotten this, um, I was a pet writer for several years and I got a press release um, from PetSmart Charities about how they had done this survey and about 50% of Americans like buy into this very negative stereotype of crazy cat ladies and the idea that, you know, cats are associated with a lot of really negative adjectives like being moody and, and aloof. And the idea that, like, you know, people could think, like, maybe I don't want to adopt a cat because I, I don't want to be seen as a crazy cat lady. Or, you know, maybe I'm a more dog person because I'm more sociable. But, I mean, cats can be sociable animals, too. I mean, cats aren't dogs. And I think that if you try to walk many cats on a leash, you're going you're gonna to realize <laughs> that. But the idea that, I mean, I think cats aren't what you expect. And so I hope that, you know, we inspire people to consider adopting cats. We inspire people to play with their cats indoors and out and just, you know, bring out that personality and, and just kind of change people's minds about what it is to be a cat and what it is to be a cat person. And, and, the, and the book definitely does that. I mean, I think one of the ways in which your sensitivity to the individuality of cats and to the not coloring them all with the same brush is the, the conversation or the chapters about equipment and in particular harnesses, because a collar on a cat is not the way to walk them. It needs to be a harness. But you talk about the many different styles and types. The kitty holster, which I first saw at a pet conference or convention, was developed by a woman. I don't know if you know this, but it was really a chicken holster. Do you know that? She started out as, yes, a pet chicken woman. The woman who invented or developed the kitty holster, which is almost like a little jacket that goes on the cat and then the leash attaches to it, that was originally a chicken holster, and it was for people, you know, you think, you think we're going out into the, into the stratosphere with walking cats. No, these are people who have chickens that they walk and chickens that they have as pets, and having this jacket on the chicken allowed you to walk it on a leash and have it not flap away or something. So that's one, but then you bring up something really interesting, the sound of Velcro. Talk a little bit about these sensitivities which could make you think, Oh God, my cat won't allow me to put on a harness or this brand of harness or this kind. 
oh, it doesn't want to do this. Oh, I don't want to cause the cat stress. But really, it may have been, as you say in the book, putting it over their head. That style was uncomfortable. So talk a little bit about these different quirky reactions of cats to equipment. And it doesn't mean your cat doesn't want to do it, maybe just not with that piece of equipment. Right. There's a there's a variety of harnesses out there, and right now, you know, there's a, there's more variety, um, obviously, for dogs. And so, with with my own cats, when we um, first leash trained them on many years before Adventure Cats existed, we we got um, a kitty holster for one of my cats, and one of my cats was scared of the sound the Velcro would make when it attached. Yes. So we tried a different harness that went over the head, and my cat, one of my other cat, didn't like that one because he didn't have he had to put it on over his head, and he didn't he didn't care for that. So now, like, they each have their own different type of harness that they're comfortable in. And for, um, you know, some cats, like, hearing new noises can be very scary. So it's a matter of getting them used to the sound of the Velcro or the buckle. And then, you know, I've interviewed some pet owners who were like, oh, I I put a harness on my adult cat and we went on a walk and it was no big deal. And my cats were not like that. It was a slow process and we, you know, we would let them eat treats off the harness first so they got comfortable, you know. Because with cats, it's all about creating a very positive association. So, you know, that means food, like smelly, delicious food if you have it. Right. And so, you know, we would give them, let them eat off of the harness or we'd put the harness next to their food dish when they ate. So they always associate it with something positive. And we did all the harness training indoors, very slowly putting the harness on and feeding them treats. And then after they were comfortable with that, we would then buckle it and feed them more treats. And, you know, making sure the cat's comfortable and in like a, a tight-fitting harness indoors before you ever venture outside. And um, that reminds me of one thing that's very important is that, you know, once your cat is leash trained and you want to go outside, um, you know, start somewhere close to home and always carry your cat outside because you don't want your cat right. to be used to walking out on his own because then your cat might walk out one day when he's not wearing a harness and leash. So it's just That's, a really, really important safety it, tip I always want to emphasize. It's a really good tip. It's sort of like walk them over the threshold. It's almost like right. dogs that have an electric fence. You would never ask them to go through the opening that you know doesn't have the electrification, but why would the dog know the difference? And if you let them walk over that place, then they'll try another place. Um and and then they'll be in trouble or they'll try that place repeatedly. And the and the door sill is something you should be carried over as a cat. At one point you talked about a cat or cats in general maybe getting tired on a walk and it's just, you know, they're not long distance. It's not really what they're built for, not built for, to do a 10 or 12 mile hike. But at that point you can put some cats on your shoulder or in a backpack, right? Right, yes. I mean, I think with, you know, a lot, one thing that, you know, people have to understand is that, you know, while some cats might walk on a leash like a dog, most cats aren't interested in that. So, right. you're, you know, your adventures are going to be lounging around in a sun puddle or something like that. But if, you know, you have a cat that's comfortable outside who wants to go on a walk and, and you go on a hike, you know, have a cat that's comfortable being picked up or being held or sitting on your shoulders or getting like a pet backpack. And there's a lot of ones out there um, that are designed for small dogs. A lot of cat owners I've talked to tell me they like the Outward Hound uh, backpacks. Right. So, I mean, that's just a great idea because your cat doesn't want to hike for a long time. Or, you know, if you go outside and you you realize your cat's not comfortable, you can, you know, have a safe place to retreat to. So I think that that all in all, what's great about the book is it mentions specific products, carriers and harnesses and strollers and leashes. And that's really important. And then people have to, if any, if they're lucky, and go to a pet store and kind of try out some of them. You don't want to buy it and find out that's what your cat hated. But I do think that it's just a wonderful book. It's an inspiration, and it gives it gives people the confidence and the the motivation to start small and then think big and think as big as your cat will let you. 
It's 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 wonderful what you've devoted this to, Laura. I think it really it's going to liberate you know even if it's ten or twenty percent of the cat population into a lifestyle that nobody would have ever offered them before. And other kitties can have fun in the backyard on a harness and think that's like the most thrilling thing that ever happened. Whatever it is, oh, yeah. it keeps it, it keeps them safe and it and it strengthens the humans bond with them and and just makes us all admire each other more. So thank you so much for 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 this devotional work of yours and for this wonderful book. It's so enjoyable. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for thank you for your kind words and, and for having me today. It's a great pleasure. Keep up adventure catting. Send more photos as they come in. We'll we'll post them and, and let all of our followers see the fun you guys are having, okay? All right, thank you. Thank you so much. This show is made possible in part by Precious Cat Litter, owned by Dr. Elsie, who has his own cats-only clinic in Colorado. He has devoted his life to inventing innovative litters for the health of all members of the family, dust-free litter and cat-attract litter that has herbs which draw the cats into the litter box. Now he has created healthy, dry, and canned food for kitties called Clean Protein, inspired by the protein levels found in a cat's natural prey. 90% of the protein in Clean Protein kibble and cans is animal-based, not the plant-based ingredients in most dry cat food, like grains, potato, vegetables, and fruits, which can actually increase your cat's hunger. The high biological value proteins in Clean Protein result in your cat's appetite being satisfied longer without compromising her health, making this a healthy dry food for your cat, even as a part of her diet. I am here with Dr. Gal Vitash, who's one of the co-founders of the East End Veterinary Center, which I remember when it started out as a very small place for emergency situations, practically in a strip mall, and is now a state-of-the-art, magnificent building offering more things than the Mayo Clinic, as far as I can tell. Dr. Gal, it's wonderful to talk to you, and congratulations on how you've taken a much-needed resource from small to gigantically wonderful. It, it it looks like the work of 20 people, and it's and it's not 20 people that in, that inspired it, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, I mean, at the end, uh, the, the group is much much larger than twenty. But at the beginning, it was a pretty much just uh, Dr. Osman and myself. Uh, two two doctors with the idea that the East End of Long we, Island. We, sorry, we, go ahead. We have a great support. We have a great support from from our staff, of course. Uh, of course, uh, of course. Dowd and Dr. Jack, we we couldn't do it without them. I mean, oh, that goes we, without we, we, saying. We, but but still somebody has to have the vision. Somebody has to have the vision that the east end of Long Island, although at the far east end, the Hamptons and various other, North Fork even, have lots of wonderful uh, primary care veterinarians. But when your dog mm-hmm. gets very sick or when nobody knows what's going on, the idea that you'd have to drive into New York City to the Animal Medical Center is pretty much out of the question. Your dog or cat would be dead by the time you dealt with the traffic, especially in the summer. And... You've assembled a crew of so many subspecialists that it, it's really um, gratifying. Although I, I no longer live there, it was very, it was a peace of mind to know that if something drastic happened to your dog or cat, or something that no one could figure out, but they were really sick, that's you know to have a, a center like yours with all these specialists is a real privilege to pet owners because you hope you yeah, never need to go there. <laughs> Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, that's the, the whole idea uh, started with a uh, with the need for a uh, for a uh, an emergency facility, a 24/7 emergency, and then from there it grew into the uh, the whole specialty components. And they are uh, essentially what we what we 
aim uh, to do here is to I uh, to I offer the um, uh, offer our clients anything but the ordinary. You know, yes, words, yes. Uh, uh, to offer them anything that 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 they are uh, uh, that uh, their uh, regular vet uh, does not, uh, and that includes the twenty four seven emergency and includes. Uh, all the different specialties that we offer uh, today, the uh, surgery, uh, internal medicine, uh, oncology, uh, hyperbaric, physical uh, rehabilitation, dermatology, etc. Which I think many, many people don't realize is essential when your animal is really ill. It isn't just the expertise of the docs who all have extra years of training, just as you wouldn't let your your general physician do cardiac surgery on you i hope if you're a human right um it's really exactly the same thing except for that when specialists didn't exist and when a center like east end vet center didn't exist your own vet had no choice it was sort of like pioneer days right in the wild west you just sort of rolled up your sleeves and did the best you could but veterinary medicine has become so sophisticated that mm-hmm. the subspecialties are really delving into medicine equivalent to human medicine in each of those subspecialties, which is pretty impressive and and something that people with pets, I hope, don't need to find out, but they need to know you're there because although you serve the East End, I'm sure people from what we on the East End call Up Island, people to the west of you must (laughs) filter back to you as well because it's finding all those subspecialists in one setting. I think one of the things We've had a question. Yes. And how so, about how about the way that your vets work together? I think that's always very interesting. People don't understand. It is like a Mayo Clinic in the sense that you come in with a cardiology problem or an ophthalmology problem, and maybe you discover there are other problems, and there's other specialists there to, con- to consult with for, for the doctors themselves. Right, exactly. Uh, uh, it's interesting that you brought up the, uh, the Mayo Clinic because that is exactly the, uh, the model that, uh, that, uh, that uh, we are we are. Uh, we are following. We are trying to mimic not, not just us. I, I, I don't know if, if, if you're uh, familiar, if you're aware of it, but a couple of years ago, we uh, we created a, a national a, a organization that's called Compassion First Pet Hospitals, and, and currently we are a network of uh, 35 hospitals across the nation. And with that, uh, we have a uh, we have a, a much much greater resources to. Uh, to world-class specialties across the organization. Um, so what, they, what, what our clients are, are, are receiving is not just what is not just the services that we can provide here, but they're also benefiting from the uh, the base knowledge of a, of, a, of, a, of a vast number of, a, of specialists across the country. Now, specifically for us, one one of the uh, a, one of the uh, a, 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 uh, points that, that that are unique to us. Is that a, um, a, to begin with? Uh, we uh, when a patient uh, shows up, we, we don't look at at a specific problem by itself, but we look at the whole patient. Yes. Where, for mm-hmm. example, when we are when we are providing when we are going through our, our morning and evening round uh, in other referral centers, morning and evening evening round round usually are done by department. So the surgery department will, will run by itself, the medicine by itself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, with us, uh, with Eastern Veterinary Center, all the doctors are running together on each patient. And that gives each one of us an opportunity to contribute from our knowledge, from our experience, and to make sure that, that, uh, that even though a patient might have showed up for a specific problem, that we are not missing 
something that 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 they are that, that, that might not be as visible at the moment, but can potentially develop into a greater uh, uh, problem in the future. So it's it's a it's a holistic approach. Well, it's. Uh, it's It's, it's music to my ears and, and I, and I hope that nobody has to avail themselves of it. But if your animal lives past five or six, things are going to happen. I mean, cancer could happen, but all kinds of other things happen. And it's very hard for people to go through what I went through in supposedly a specialty emergency facility mm-hmm. in Latham, New York, which is that you have one internist. There's two total, but both of them aren't there simultaneously. And there's an orthopedist, and maybe there's one other person that's a specialist. And that one doctor was, quite frankly, bullheaded and monovisioned. And I had yeah. my, my friend who's a co-host on The Expert Vet, Donna Spector, board-certified internist and board-certified oncologist Sue Ettinger on the phone with me saying, no, 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 ask for this, ask for that, get a biopsy. Mm-hmm. And had there been a rounds of people like at your at your center, I'm sure one doctor would have said, "You know what? this could be liver cancer. Hey, what if it's mm-hmm. X? This guy decided it was something that was made no sense at all, and my dog suffered for five horrendous days and then died and you know had he maybe he would have died anyway, it was apparently liver cancer, but he didn't. He and I, the dog and I, didn't have to suffer being in limbo like that. And I think that this is one of the problems when a vet alone tries to take care of a pet with a serious problem. They not only don't have a subspecialty, they maybe have a couple of other general doctors in the office, but nobody has spent their time like you guys do being detectives looking for what that, isn't that is, apparent. Right. That is exactly right. Uh, it, it's important to, to, to mention that they are... Uh, I uh, no the 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 veterinarians on Long Island. I uh, the Long Island in particular is, is a very special community from a, from a veterinary sense. We have we have we have incredible uh, veterinarians on the island, and and they are a vast number of of, of uh, people that, that that are highly qualified. So what we do here is is neither better or worse than than than, than what they do. It's just different. Correct. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they, they, their specialty is in general is in a, a general medicine, and, and our specialties are just a little bit more focused. Uh, uh, what about far, equipment? As as, uh, But, Dr. Gal, what about equipment? Course, you also have much more course. sophisticated equipment, uh, diagnostic of equipment. Of course, of course. So, so we, we are very privileged with that. We, we, we have uh, all, all the bells and whistles there, uh, like a tax scans, like a... Uh, we, we are one of the very, very few facilities around the country that have a hyperbaric chamber. For example, uh, this is a, an up-and-coming uh, uh, area. Yes. Uh, we have a highly specialized uh, uh, surgical equipment, uh, uh, ultrasounds, uh, endoscopy. Uh, of course, we are, uh, because we are focusing so much on, on specialties, then uh, it is our responsibility to, to make sure that we have the, the right equipment. We have an in-house laboratory that, that is available to us uh, 24-7. Uh, yeah, we are, we are very well equipped, and, and the, uh, the, the equipment uh, allows us to provide, uh, to provide immediate, immediate information. An- uh, another, uh, yes, which is, which is also not even common to most emergency specialty centers. For example, you have a very, very direly ill dog like Teddy was, and not only mm-hmm. did they have to send out the lab work, they didn't even put a rush on it, which I, as a supposedly very informed pet owner, didn't know was an option. Now, why did that internist not know that it was an option or not 
do it. I mean, I would have paid any amount of money, and by the way, so would my pet insurance company, to get that information more quickly. So it took 24 hours, which was a great deal of tragically lost time. At, at your center, you do it. You do all the blood work and the other work right there. So you have control over the sample and control over the timing of gathering the information, the early information, the later information, whether it's a culture or blood work. It's, it is the difference between life and death, and I wish I hadn't lived through it, but I, I can't stress to people enough how grateful I am on behalf of everyone living on the east end of Long Island, that you're there and that no one should be shy about availing themselves of what you offer. And as you say about the vets, they're very quick to send patients to you. They're not trying to keep mm-hmm. the patients from you, right? Not at all. No, no. We have we have a wonderful uh, uh, community. Uh, uh, we develop a very strong relationship with with uh, all the, uh, the general practitioners. Uh, it took some time to build trust, but uh, but we achieved that a long time ago. Yes, uh, we are we are in a sense an extension of their service. Uh, this is this is a uh, you know the holistic approach continues uh, to the general practitioner. Uh, we we are not competing with them. We are we are complementing their services. Uh, and it, just to touch on, on something that you mentioned earlier, I, sometimes as, as professionals, and that's true for all professions, we tend to tunnel vision. Yes. Uh, sometimes we allow yes. we allow our ego to to get yes. the, the best of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's extremely important to me that uh, the people that we hire here are not only uh, excellent uh, uh, professionals, but uh, but uh, but we are hiring by character. In other words, nice. uh, the uh, the individuals the, the individuals character is as and the time even more important to me than their qualifications. We can find qualified persons, yes. but, but, uh, but, but the people that we're looking for are those that can communicate well, those that can, that can express, that, that can exchange in abundance, yes. that, can, uh, that, can, uh, that can look at each patient as if it was their own, and, and, uh, and, and they uh, provide recommendations that, that, that are coming from their heart. That's so, that's so touching, and I'm sure to anyone listening, it's very moving because we know that the communication amongst doctors, because you have this team approach, which is so collegial, is, is as important as the ability to talk to the human side of the patient equation. My friend um, Adrian, who lives in East Hampton, recently mm-hmm. had her dog Larry big, beautiful, wonderful yeah. dog that came from ARF. Yeah. And she had I know a, Larry. You know Larry, I'm sure, and everyone loved Larry. Larry. <laughs> and from what I heard, people yeah. said, oh, don't take Larry home. We love him. Let him stay here. Larry was very, very sick. And, and Adrian's family yeah. are her dogs, Cookie and Larry, that came from ARF. And um, her own vet, who's marvelous, said, oh, it's time to go up island. you got to go to East End. And yeah. it wasn't clear what was wrong with Larry. And it seems that he had swallowed a toy squeaker, which maybe on Mm -hmm. the x-ray in the general practitioner's office didn't show up, but he had surgery, and you guys recommended that he stay extra days, and Adrian went every day to visit him, which is a long Mm -hmm. hike. I mean, everything when you're at the east end of Long Island is a long hike, but she looked forward to going there and felt really comforted going there because she knew that Larry was surrounded by people who really loved and cared for Mm -hmm. him, and she was greeted with that same level of compassion it's not mm-hmm. the usual that we expect. We're all we're all nervous when we go to to a serious doctor situation. You know, it's like, oh, don't we tell me the worst. Him. You know, yeah. and she and the felt the opposite. Show, I mean, people people are showing how showing up here at two a.m. and yes. we don't have a history. We don't know, they don't know us. It, it is it is up to us 
to 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 relay uh, all that we can offer. Yes. Uh, and 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 to make sure that they that 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 that, that we that we convey the right message. Uh, and, and and that is that, that is very challenging, but that's exactly what we're trying to do. The the, the level of, of of anxiety that they are that owners pet owners are 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 feeling at the time of of, a, of distress is completely understandable. It yes, is, it is our job to empower them with information and to help them make the best decision for their pet with the knowledge provided by us. Well, I know I lived through it myself with you back in your very, very early days when um, my mm-hmm. rescued um, mm-hmm. wine runner Scooby-Doo was still really young and having trouble yeah. peeing so badly that, that Dr. Barry and I, I had to work with him one night to try and help express his bladder, which was an interesting mm-hmm. vet tech training for me. But he x-rayed him and didn't see what was wrong. And I came, brought him to you, and it was not immediately apparent that bladder stones had embedded themselves in the wall of his bladder, so they were mm-hmm. not visible. And he had to spend two right. days with you while you and your very much smaller team decided what to right. do mm-hmm. and finally decided he wasn't getting better, and you went in to do exploratory surgery like the olden days before all the diagnostics. Mm-hmm. And part of his bladder wall had had died from having these stones in it, and and you guys were really straight with me. You said it's touch and go. We don't know that this will hold this this repair of his bladder, and it did. But you were very yeah. honest. You know, it was a very anxious, terrible time. But in the end, I got back an intact dog who had a, a good long life. You know, arthritis in the end took him out. But it's clearly the heart from which you speak now has always been where you came from and what you've inspired mm-hmm. in the team around you. And that in itself is, is a great gift to all of us, along with the CAT scans and the hyperbaric chamber. You know, it's that the personal relationship matters. It's exactly that. I mean, the, the, the tools are, are essential, but, but at the end of the day, it's all about communication. It's all about honesty. Yes. Uh, it's all about, uh, it's all about uh, uh, keeping uh, uh, the right ethics in mind. It's, it's, it's about focusing our attention on the patient's needs, uh, understanding that uh, that in order for us to, uh, to to help the patient, we we have to we have to relay the information uh, to the owner so they can make an educated decision. Uh, if, if I may, I, I I did want to touch on on, on one little point. Sure. Uh, so we, we are the only uh, the only hospital in in uh, Eastern Sussex County that they, uh, that is that is open and, and fully staffed twenty four seven. Uh, the, uh, the the overnight hospitalization, in my view, is a very very important component of what we do. Uh, in, uh, in the olden days, with <laughs> uh, uh, surgeries used to be performed, and then patients would be left That's right. the hospital overnight, mm-hmm. overnight un- unsupervised, yes. and and uh, numerous disasters as a result. Uh, uh, the uh, the twenty four seven component of operation. Uh, is, is essential to uh, to to acceleration of, uh, of the healing process and they uh, are and they uh, and, and to 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 help uh, help all together um, so i'm glad I'm glad you brought that up there. because there are vets on the east end and many places in America where an animal will be left in a cage overnight and you could wake mm-hmm. up to a dead animal or a much sicker one the i v comes out or it takes a turn for the worse mm-hmm. or its blood pressure goes down or has a bad reaction mm-hmm. to medication. It, you you exactly. can't leave anybody post surgery or in a critical condition 
without monitoring eyes and ears on that animal. So that is an extremely good point and, and, and yet another reason to be grateful for you gentlemen being there. So I'm, I'm really delighted. We've run out of time, but I'm delighted to bring to people's attention if they weren't already aware of it, that you've made this beautiful, beautiful facility, this Mayo Clinic for Pets and that people should not be the least bit shy or cautious about coming. In fact, when you're coming in and out of town, folks, drop by and visit. Right, Gal? I mean, go see what's there when you're not in an emergency. It's even a better idea than you know how to get there. You're comfortable with the road, even if your animal's really sick. Learn where it is, see what it's like, introduce yourself, and hope you never have to come back with a sick pet. That would be my wish for everybody listening. (laughs) Thank you so much, Gal. That is my, my wish as well. I, I, I would just like to mention that I, 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 I'm grateful for the attention, uh, but uh, the, uh, the, the, the appreciation should really be uh, toward our team. Of course, uh, of we, course. We have, we, have, we have an incredible team, and, uh, and, and, and they, uh, our success is, is 100% as a result of, of their devotion and, uh, and their uh, professionalism. Well said. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you at another time to hear more of the wonderful things you're doing. I'll be right back after this quick word. This show is brought to you by Halo, holistic and humane natural dog and cat foods, which are made with only whole meats, never with rendered chicken meal or byproduct meal. There are new formulations at Halo which reflect whole, holistic, and humane practices. Halo says no to factory farming, no to growth hormones, no to antibiotics, no to artificial flavors, coloring, or preservatives in their foods, and sources cage-free poultry, pasture-raised beef, and wild-caught fish. The new Halo has no GMO vegetables. All fruits and vegetables are sourced from farmland that prohibits the use of genetically modified seeds. What's new about Halo will matter to you, to farm animals, and to the planet. This show is also brought to you by Best Pet Rx, a unique compounding pharmacy for pets in New York City. They can turn any medication for dogs and cats into a custom-flavored oral paste, chewable tablet, or liquid. And if your pet won't take it, they'll keep making formulas at no extra charge until you get one your pet does like. So your pet can happily take the medicine she needs to get well and stay well. Best Pet Rx. I am here with Nicole Forsyth, who's the president and CEO of RedRover.com, a really interesting national animal welfare organization based in Sacramento. And it's it's a, a brand new idea to me and, and obviously doing a lot of good work. Nicole, welcome to the show. It's really great to learn about what you're doing. Thanks for having me on. Well, I feel bad that you've been, Red Rover's been doing this since 1987, and it's the first that I've heard of it. But listen, good good deeds, it's only bad news that travels fast, right? So you're doing all this good work. Talk about what it is you're doing, the life-saving programs you you have, and, and the crisis situations in which you've been able to help people and their pets. We're kind of like the American Red Cross for animals. That's kind of the easiest way to think about us. Yes. We really are there. Yeah, we're really there to help people at their most vulnerable, the, the place where animals and people come together and they're both in very very vulnerable positions. So natural disasters is one of our um, most commonly thought of types of emergencies that we help with. And we have 4,000 volunteers all over the country. So when there's a natural disaster, at the request of the community, we will go in, set up a temporary emergency shelter, that our volunteers and our, our staff will help set up and manage um, until they're not as overwhelmed. 
So we're really there to help that that crisis point. So we were helping for Hurricane Harvey um, and Hurricanes Irma and, and Maria. So we're you know we're there with the big ones, and also we help the smaller situations, criminal seizures, um, but always at the request of the community and the agency that's responding. Um, and then we also help people when they can't afford emergency vet care. Um, so another really vulnerable time, especially when the bond that they have is very, like we all love our pets, but sometimes that bond is really, really vital. Service animals, um, right. veterans with right. stress disorder, those really, really critical ones where we want to go above and beyond in those cases. Um, and then we also help domestic violence victims escape their abusive situations with their pets. Uh, we're, we're learning more and more that this can be a huge barrier to leaving um, and that the pets themselves are often used in the abuse. You know, the, yes, the, they're the, the first line, they're first line of receive, of, uh, as recipients. Yes, they're sometimes being you know, told if you leave, such and such is going to happen. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of domestic violence um, shelters aren't in a position where they're able to house those pets. So we have several programs that can help people both, you know, escape really quickly and, and provide some temporary boarding at a boarding facility, or we are actually working within the domestic violence community to really help them figure out how they can offer those resources, whether they are at the shelter itself, which is ideal because you'd, you'd like them to be close and, and so they can um, benefit from that relationship right there at the shelter, but if they can't, then, you know, working with their community resources, their animal shelter, um, veterinary centers, you know, boarding facilities to try to develop a really robust program to help those pets and those people. I've had a number of, of wonderful people on the show that are part of domestic violence shelters, the rare ones that, that are able to take pets in, and, and they get the support of Bayer and some of the really big companies that, that want to stand behind those victims and make sure that that human-animal bond isn't ruptured. How are you brought in when you say that in the big natural disasters, there's an agency like a federal or local agency that calls mm -hmm. you in? How are you called in in individual abuse situations or, or otherwise life-threatening? Who, who is it who calls you? Social workers? For the domestic violence, um, it's usually the domestic violence advocate. So we won't work directly with the victim yes. because of confidentiality. Correct. We also want to make sure they're in some sort of support network. So typically we're hearing from the domestic violence advocate directly. Um, and then we work with them to figure out, you know, what is it that we can do? And there's a an application online that's really easy to complete. And those are completed by the domestic violence advocate. If we do get a call from a victim, then we direct them to resources. And we have a wonderful website called safeplaceforpets.org. Nice. And this is a website that is set up very specifically for victims as well as advocates. But it's designed so that a victim can go on there. There's a safe escape button in the case wow. they have to escape really quickly. Wow. And they can just put in their, yeah, it's, um, they just put in their zip code, and then up will come all the resources within a particular mile radius that they're interested wow. in um, for shelters that, can, that they can go to, as well as all the available resources. I'm going to put a link to that in with the podcast of the show, so safeplaceforpets.com. Dot org. Dot org. I was wondering. I thought it should probably be org. And it's part of what redrover.org does. This is amazing. Yes. So if you're in a, in that moment, a life-threatening moment, where the, where the abuser 
is going after you and you've locked yourself in the room, you can, you can go on your phone and go on the internet and go to safeplaceforpets.org and you too will be able to, to get help from police or social workers or whomever to get you out of there safely in the moment. Um, yes, you know, it may, um, there may be hotlines that are, are better for the, the, the immediate emergency, like I if see. you're actually being, right. like you probably want to call the police. Right, it's a, good point. Immediate life-threatening, yes. But if you're trying to plan, if you're trying to plan your escape, that's probably when you'd want to go to safeplaceforpets.org. Wow, a lot of, a lot of intense situations, and you guys have yes. been the safety net at, at one remove. So you've been there, but always working through other agencies which makes a lot of sense. You can't do everything mm-hmm. for everybody, but you can you can have these boots on the ground that know how to set up in a in a bigger situation, brush fires or hurricanes, a mm-hmm. safe place. Now, do you have funding from a Petco Foundation or a PetSmart Charities or or Rachel Ray or somebody? It, it, does some of your funding for your materials come from a, any of those foundations? Um, we definitely we get most of our funding from individual donors as well as private foundations, and we're really um, getting a lot of interest in various businesses. Um, we're developing partners. We had a partnership last February for Valentine's Day with Russell Silver Chocolates. Really? really fun. Yeah. So we're getting a lot of interest. You know, people love our brand. We're, we really want people to feel they can connect with an animal organization that's very warm and positive. You know, we're dealing with some really um, horrible situations, but yes. we're always looking for the positive. You know, we're there to help people. We also, so we're, we're helping in the immediate crisis, but we also really want to prevent cruelty and neglect and abuse in the first place. And so yes. we have another really innovative program that trains teachers and um, a few humane educators and some local Sacramento, California area volunteers to go into schools. And um, you know, we train the teachers how to use this very specific curriculum that uses stories about animals um, and humans working you know, together so that they can understand um, animal behavior better and feel empathy for them. So it's really an empathy program. It helps develop the skills needed for empathy. And it's um, you know, pretty cognitively um, you know, structured in terms of really understanding psychology and how we think and how we learn. And it utilizes some of that research to really dig deep and get kids to, to think from an animal perspective, which is so important, both for, you know, animal welfare and also, um, you know, more compassionate society for people as well. And uh, and the, the the link between children who are abusers of animals and, and may very well be abused themselves at home and those yes. children turning out to be abusive or victimized adults is a pretty clear straight line in the the lot of work that's that's being done by nonprofits that study this over and over and over and yeah. it's very very interesting that you've found a way to to think backwards instead of just forwards not let's just not react to a disaster let's plan to to have fewer preventable disasters you can't stop a hurricane but there is a way to maybe one person at a time break cycles of domestic violence that may be endemic to a certain area, to certain family structures. I, I think this is a, really a wonderful thing to do because those kids that can show empathy towards animals may learn that there hasn't been enough empathy shown to them or that they may not have shown enough empathy to others. And it really is yeah. a circular a circular feel-good uh, understanding. Who are the people that put together the curriculum? Um, it was developed quite a while ago um, from um, a professional um, 
curriculum developer right. <laughs> who had done special training. So she had worked with special teach with special um, a special program for training teachers. And it uses a, a, a teaching methodology from the 80s actually called reciprocal teaching, where you're really trying to increase comprehension, reading comprehension. But ah. the same concept can also be used to increase just comprehension of, of topics generally. It helps you develop very, um, you know, without getting into too, too technical, um, it works on really kind of concrete information, like who's the main character. But then you dig deeper into your emotions, like how do you think Buddy feels in this picture? So we use illustrated books nice. to show animal behavior. And so when someone's looking at a picture of a dog left on a chain who's lonely and, and um, you know, then, then is clearly sad from his behavior, his body position, we pull out kids' explicit knowledge of how they know that dog is sad. And so the peers in the classroom that, that have never thought about a dog having an emotion are, are hearing from their peers, oh, wow, my peer thinks that dog is sad. And they can tell because the ears and the and, you know, eyes are half closed and the ears are back and down. And, you know, the dog is hunched when, when um, he's scared. And so we help the kids really pull out that information. But they learn it together. So it's a very, um, you know, peer-constructed way to learn. And it's, it gets into their emotions. So by tapping into someone's emotions, you know, there's research that shows you learn a lot deeper and a lot better when you can get into the um, your own, you know, where your emotional states are. Um, and we have a way for families to, <clears throat> excuse me, families to access this curriculum in their homes as well. So they, we have a, an app that people can download. It's free. There's two books in the series right now. They're graphic novels, so again, they're illustrated. Wow. You can really see the animal behavior. And then you read the story. There's pop-up questions to help a teacher or a parent you know, ask the same kind of questions we teach teachers how to ask. So, I mean, how do you think this, this character right. is feeling in this right. picture? And how can you tell? And then um, you know, it's an adventure story, so it's super fun. It's um, a character called Raja. So the easiest way to search for them is Raja, book one, and Raja, book two. Um, but the series is called The Adventures of Raja. And, you know, it's, it's a fun story that kids can then really learn about animal behavior. And it's one of those save the world, empathy, compassion, wins nice. kind of tale. Nice. So there's also that. <laughs> well, I, I wonder how much um, any dots have been connected around the issue of bullying in school, which seems to be to have a lot of um, awareness at the moment. It would seem to mm-hmm. me that and I could be leaping far leaps ahead, that if this creates empathy for animals and then compassion, empathy, and understanding for, for your peers, then yes. bullying might take a very different um, place in the school because there might be other kids that would interrupt it. And would that, has there ever been a, a, a line drawn between a bullying or bullied child maybe becoming a victim or an abuser later as an adult? I don't know. It kind of seems yeah, like it, it is, might. Yeah, it's very much related. And we do see, um, you know, from reports that we get back that a lot of the kids are saying things, uh, you know, related to their friends and people as well. You know, I want to be a better brother. You know, when they hear about the story, it makes them think. One, one of the yes. nice things about the program is we're not going and telling kids, this is how you should think, right. this is what you should do. They're thinking about it for themselves. So they see the story and they see these two characters interacting, and they think, oh, I want to have a relationship like that with yes. my dog, yes. with my cat, yes. my chicken, horse, rabbit. You know, we have all these books. And, and then they also sometimes think, oh, and I want, I'm, I've been treating my brother horribly yes. lately. I yes. have just been so mean to him, and mm-hmm. I want to have a better relationship with my brother. So they're telling us these things, but they're coming up with them, and that's 
key to changing behavior. Yes, as you say, that's where the real learning takes place on an emotional level Mm -hmm. where you come to it yourself. Isn't that cool? I I wanted to ask about the 4,000 volunteers, the Red Rover responders. You you liken Mm -hmm. what you're doing to an American Red Cross for, for animals. Is the Red Cross made up of volunteers too, she said ignorantly? Or I don't know, I never considered who were the people on the front lines with the American Red Cross. Are they volunteers? They do have yeah, they do have volunteers, but not as heavily reliant on them as we are. <laughs> we're certainly a lot smaller. Um, you know, one of these days maybe we'll be as big as the American Red Cross, but we're a very small organization um, for what we do. So we're so dependent on those 4,000 volunteers. And because of that, you know, we have a we pride ourselves in our the volunteer experience that happens. Um, we have an excellent training program, and we really um, coach them and make sure they're ready for a particular deployment. Our team leaders and our staff that go out there to, to work with them um, have just got this system down of, of really making sure they're supported and have a good experience. Um, so we're pretty happy about that. So I was thinking, my next thought was, how do people that might like to be such a Red Rover responder, how do they apply? How do they become uh, certified or become trained or become part of, you know, uh, the the pager goes off and you get in your vehicle and you go to the place that you're needed to go? How how do people become volunteers? Are there certain areas only where you're doing it or, or how does that work? We have uh, workshops throughout the country. They are in-person workshops. We determine that's pretty important for us. And, um, but they happen, you know, throughout the year. Um, and also we, we can um, work with people if there's a particular area that really is requesting a workshop. So there's a large number of people that want to do it. Like how um, many, how many so, is the right number? Let's say the east end of Long Island where, you know, there's yeah. one road in, there's one road out, and, and it's a fully volunteer emergency responder end of, end of the world. I mean, up, up mm-hmm. until a certain point on the island, it's all unpaid volunteer fire and uh, ambulance, although now there's a few mm-hmm. paid people, there's a volunteer mentality and there might mm-hmm. even be physically a need for it. How yeah. how many people yeah. constitute enough people for you to send somebody? You know, usually it's around 20. That's um, not that hard. A little less. Yeah, but that should, it's usually most communities can, can do that. Um, and But people can also go to our website, redrover.org. And if you go to the sign up for the, the email interest list, there's a whole page on um, the volunteering. Um, so it's the Red Rover Responders Program. And there's information about becoming a volunteer. There's information about the next workshops, um, you know, where those are. And then um, if people if people don't see one that they're able to go to, then they might want to work with their community, um, you know, either their animal shelter or um, we, we work with other on-the-ground partner organizations yes. to bring training to them. So we've got very creative ways of doing that. Our uh, emergency services director will sometimes go to a particular shelter and help them train their volunteers. And then when something happens, we're still able to partner with them. That's but it's great. a little bit more of That's a, great. you know, they know kind of what's going on. I think yeah. it's it's fantastic what Red Rover does and, and the ways in which you're able to reach in many, many directions at once. I think it's it's terrific. There'll be obviously a link to redrover.org with the podcast so people can explore everything that's there and either help or be helped. And in both cases, that would be wonderful. So thank you so much, Nicole, for, for what you're all thank doing you. and, and for being here to talk about it. It was really, really wonderful to learn about. It was a wonderful talking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. Kiss your kitties, hug your pooches, stay safe, and we will talk again next week.